My name is Erin Bross, and this is The Dirt, Confessions of a Tree Planter. Art for this podcast comes from another tree planter, Bethany Davis, as part of her illustration series, Follow the Trees. This is a podcast about tree planting as a reforestation practice in the silviculture industry. Tree planters are a collective of people who spend much of their lives replenishing a logged area with new forest. However, tree planting is so much more than the physical act of planting thousands of seedlings in the ground day after day as a job. It is about the connections, experiences, bonds, and memories that last a lifetime. The dirt is a place to shed light on the culture that is mostly contained within those who have stuck a shovel in the ground. It is meant to dive deep into all things tree planting as a place for those to reminisce, relate, or to learn. So wherever you're coming from, as any tree planter would say, may the planting gods be with you. Hey folks. Um, okay, so I I just kind of impulsively got called to record this. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to kind of roll with it. It's actually something I thought about. Not necessarily recording an episode on, but just um, sharing a little bit on the Facebook page. Um, and on a minor tangent there, I am kind of stepping back a lot on my like personal Facebook and will be using it solely to be kind of marketing the podcast and being able to um, reach all of you guys. Um, so for anyone who's listening to this who knows me and is wondering why everything is gone from my Facebook wall, that is why. And this original post is actually gone to as well. And a lot of this, um, I'm putting this poetry book out that I'm going to kind of talk about a little bit. Um, yeah, it's sort of a, a purging and a letting go and a just evolving through this whole experience. But just with everything that we all went through individually, collectively in 2020 and, um, some of the effects that 2020 has had and uh, some of the conversations I've had in the past, even on this podcast, and then ones that are going to be coming to you um, pretty soon. And what really spurred all of this was getting a gift from someone that will be, um, I'll be airing the episode on the podcast soon and just, um, just the love, like just the note I got here just like made me tear up and, um, and just made me um, called feel called to record this and to share this and you know in the spirit of authenticity and vulnerability like really put my story out there a little bit more a lot of people who know me now know about the story and a lot because of the Facebook post but the reason I want to share this on here is because um, until I had made that Facebook post nobody in my tree planting camp knew what was going on And I refer to this a little bit in episode 14 with my now good friend Matthew Kent where we talk about prairie planting but really we just talk about mental health and like and tree planting and um, I refer to my eighth season which was back in 2017 and uh, yeah it was the hardest season I've ever I've ever gone through and I mean like I, I wasn't I wasn't there like I don't know I don't know who was um you know the people that met me that season didn't meet me they just met like um the shell of me and you know just with everything that we're going through collectively right now like you know even even pre-2020 and just you know the 
issues around mental health of just being able to be transparent and to be open and for you know all of us to be willing to share and to talk about it and to be able to ask for help you know that was something that that I didn't know how to do either and you know I've been blessed for a lot of my life to be very um, mentally well and mentally healthy and and then I went through an experience that um, totally broke me and destroyed me and then I went tree planting and I thought that it would help like it had always helped my problems before and it couldn't really help me and um, I wasn't telling anyone and I think that's often the case is that even even the people that are closest to us and are around us all the time like we're afraid to talk and we're afraid to say things for all of our own reasons that we have shame guilt embarrassment um, you know whatever it may be for you um, and you know just looking back on 2020 and some of the the people that we've lost from this world who have um, chosen to transition um, a lot as a direct result of what has gone on in 2020, but, you know, a lot to do with um, this piece on mental wellness and, and just mental illnesses in general. Um, I, I felt called to, yeah, just like put this out there. And, you know, this is something that in no way defines me anymore and really it isn't a part at all of my day-to-day life um but I wanted to share it with you guys because if if anyone has gone through anything and you're out planting and not asking for help or even just in some of the issues that we've been working through in the industry um, and just making it a more safe and inclusive place for everyone to be and for everyone to feel comfortable to just say like hey I'm not okay right now or hey this is going on for me and to be able to feel like they can reach out to someone and do that you know sometimes those people are around you sometimes they're not and so you know I think that's what we're all working towards is that so that they are but um yeah so if they are and you just feel still feel that blockage of not being able to ask for help like I know I was one of those people and so really my hopes of sharing this story is simply to show you um that that you know I guess if I can do it you can do it too and um to just share and and you know maybe you'll find some of your experience in my words and and hopefully that will make you feel less alone or feel less shame or embarrassment or whatever you're feeling around not being able to reach out to someone. Um, And, you know, whether this is on the block or off the block, um, because of course I'm recording this in January, but, you know, I'm hoping for anyone listening to this at any time. Um, And this is really, yeah, kind of spurred for me because I've really released a lot of this experience in the form of a poetry book. Um, which was an intention of mine um, shortly after that season um, because, you know, a poem I'll share with you later on, I actually wrote during that season on a day off um, in my eighth season. And, uh, and yeah, so I've put it out in a poetry book. And, and it's, you know, it's not my intention, you know, because I wrestled with this actually because I was like, oh, do I want to like use my podcast to market my poetry book? And you know, I really didn't want to because I'm really not a big person on like, hey, this is me and just, I don't know, like the ego or whatever. And even this podcast, like I, it's, it's mine and I run it, but it's really just like a vessel for all of you and your wonderful stories and the beautiful things everyone's doing in the world. And, and it's like, I'm just this vessel for it. And that's how I feel. And, um, 
and so yeah that you know this poetry book I just want it to be a vessel for everyone who's experienced mental illness who's experienced pain and loss and heartbreak and grief to just be able to come to these words and to find a piece of you within them that will hopefully help you whether it's to help you feel less alone to help you move forward um you know whatever it may be and so um yeah I just want to kind of share all of this and and you know also to say I'm going to share links where you can where you can get this book um, I'm just publishing it independently because I don't really know what the fuck I'm doing, but like, <laughs> do any of us really? Um, yeah, so I'll post links somewhere you can order a paperback form or an ebook form on Blurb, and then it's also available on the iBook store, so you can buy it as like an iBook. Um, and I made the price, I think, pretty reasonable. Um, but, uh, you know, I really just, I want this to be about reaching people. Like, it's really not about making money for me. It's just, it's so much more than that for me. And so, like, if you can't afford it, um, and if, and if you, like, I want to get this book to you if, if you feel called and, and if you'd like to have a copy and, like, like, I'll fucking pay for one and send it to you. Like, I'll just send you one if you want one. Um, I really want to stress that. Um, because I really just want this to be able to reach people. And that's ultimately why I'm coming on the the podcast here right now and just like sharing my story and talking about it um, is because I just want my words to reach people. And so with that, um, I'm actually going to share something I wrote on a day off um, during that season. And uh, it was when I was, yeah, like at at my breaking point. I've never been in a place so dark before in my life. And, um, I hope I never have to be again, um, quite in that place. Um, because I do acknowledge now the, you don't have light without darkness. And, um, you know, that's very much a process here in life, but this was a very, very dark spot. And I can still picture the cafe, um, that I was in that day in Kamloops when I just puked it all out and wrote the whole thing and then just put it on my Facebook um, as my way of kind of telling the world what was going on and finally asking for help because I really didn't know how to do that and uh, so this was my way of doing that. So I just want to um, read this for all of you. Um, It's a little long and you know anyone who knows me or has me on Facebook um, has seen this. Like I said, I've since deleted, like, the entirety of my Facebook wall, so it's not on there anymore. But um, I'm just going to read and share my experience with you um, because I I went through this and then went into a planting season and uh, didn't know what the fuck to do. So, May is Mental Health Awareness Month in the United States. In Canada, more specifically, the first week of May is Mental Health Awareness Week. So it felt appropriate that on the last day of May, I would write this and share it with all of you. The rest of my life began on January 13th. It was a Friday. I was asking him what his intentions were, and even days later, I still wasn't sure I had believed the words coming out of his mouth, because they were exactly what would have come out of mine if I'd been asked the same question. What followed was someone who cared more for me than I did for myself, or that's how he made me feel. There was very little intimacy in the form of physicality for the first few days because we were engrossed in learning more about each other as quickly as possible. The deeper, more personal, and complex the questions got, the more connected we felt. 
He was very open from the beginning about his struggles with mental health, encouraged me to be able to talk about it with anyone I felt comfortable with, and that his support system was in place so it wouldn't be something that would affect very much of our relationship. He had struggled for the last decade with it, in part due to his experiences before and during his dream career. I tried my best to understand something I had never been presented with or exposed to before. Within days, I knew I was in love, which was such a crazy concept to me. There had to be something wrong. You don't fall in love that fast ever. And I'd even thought my previous relationships of months were fast. This was different. I couldn't describe this properly to anyone other than I had found it and that was all that mattered. It only took about four or five days to utter those words. I can still remember looking over at him and hearing him say it, basically laughing because it felt so ridiculous, but we both know it was true. I didn't think I could feel happiness like this. We had the same lifestyle, all the same interests, the same stoke for life and love. Finally, after 26 years, everything I'd ever wanted in life was right here, right in front of me, ready, willing, and able. On the water kayaking for his birthday, I felt crazy flutters when he asked me to marry him, saying he just couldn't wait any longer. There was no way I could say no, and we laughed and smiled until our faces hurt. I felt fulfilled. I felt like I finally had what I really deserved, what everyone kept telling me I deserved, what I had been waiting for all those lonely years. We talked about everything, from grad school to where we wanted to go with our careers, to how many kids we'd have and how we'd raise them. He was my soulmate. Some may find this ridiculous, but we had the exact same lines on our palms. Exact. It felt like another sign. He was my other half, and I'd found it. Never had I found someone with that same life stoke, who was so generous, kind, and caring. Unfortunately, he's not always around, and I saw him less and less as time went on. It began from the beginning I learnt months later. The lies upon lies, building up a story about the ridiculous, crazy ex he had who was doing everything to make his and our lives miserable. Break-ins, stealing his stuff, begging for him back, sending people after him verbally and physically. It seemed like each week there was something worse. It felt ridiculous. I'd never had so much drama in my life, and it made me upset why someone would want to do that to someone else. I was confused and stressed that I cared. someone I cared so much about was having this done to him. It caused me to humiliate myself, say things to my friends, and even the ex trying to defend him and protect us against nothing but an illness in reality. There were things here and there that bothered me, and his illness started to surface with the stress of it all after about a month. I opened myself up to him being able to share his thoughts and concerns with me, not knowing shortly thereafter I started to recognize some behaviors that were foreign to me. Eventually it led to me leaving my friends and my home. He faked a black eye after I stood my ground on staying for another week before leaving, as he felt our safety was too at risk. Deep down I knew it was fake at the time, but I had been controlled and manipulated for so long at this point, and without my knowledge that I couldn't see past it. The scariest part of being in love is you have to, without fail, give that person the benefit of the doubt every single time. And so I did. I ignored my gut, even when I went to the police station to inquire about the restraining order that had been placed against his ex to find no record of this or of any of the incidents that supposedly happened throughout the winter. The week before we left, we even went into the police station together and talked to a cop about everything that had happened. He'd originally told me not to mention any of the previous misdoings on advice of his lawyer. Even though I got so worked up, I ended up telling most of it anyways. All those weeks I had felt so powerless, so helpless to all the abuse being done to the person I loved the most. It felt liberating and comforting to finally be able to speak out against all of it to authority. 
Unbeknownst to me at the time that everything were lies, it only made matters worse that the police officer had been through a similar situation with a jealous ex and it only validated the accusations even more. So I left. I quit my job and left my home because the person I was going to spend the rest of my life with told me we had to. For all of you, I am sure this comes as a shock. In ways it came as a shock to me and I was stubborn about it. I don't just go and let someone govern my life. Yet here I was doing just that out of love. It tore at my insides, the desire to stay and the desire to do whatever I needed to do to make everything go away so he could be happy again. So we could be happy again. I found myself desperate to speak with one of his therapists. I was playing catch up with mental illness and it wasn't working. As his condition deteriorated, simultaneously with my own that I didn't realize at the time, I felt more and more helpless. I was now in a place where I knew no one, with no money, no job, relying on my partner to hopefully get us back into sorts after such a stressful winter. The next week I started an intensive week-long avalanche course. During that week, I endured constant verbal and emotional abuse on the drives to and from Lake Louise. Every day he threatened to leave me stranded in Lake Louise. Everything was, always my, everything was always wrong and it was always my fault. I was riddled with anxiety because no matter how hard I tried, how calm or upset I was, nothing I could ever say or do would be enough. He needed to talk and talk and talk and talk. He would never stop arguing. I couldn't sleep because that wasn't allowed until we worked out whatever disagreement he had decided was relevant at the time. I gave myself to him in ways I would never fathom. I was sexually abused and taken advantage of time and time again in a desperate attempt to calm a severe mentally ill person off their meds. I didn't know this at the time, but I now know that without my knowledge he could not afford them, and so he spaced them out and eventually was off of them altogether for the entire month of March. On my birthday, he stole my debit card, and I ended up paying for everything, including my birthday dinner. I didn't get a present, not even a card or flowers. We spent the day skiing and picked our wedding location. On the drive home, he got so upset at me for not considering the fact that I wouldn't see him for four months because I was going planting and, and up north um, to do some, some geology work. It was not acceptable. It was not acceptable I didn't put our relationship above everything else. He stopped the vehicle, got out, and said he was going to walk home, and I could figure out what to do on my own. I sat there dumbfounded and crying, questioning myself, wondering if I was too stubborn and independent and wondering if I did need to put our relationship first in a more profound way. Eventually he came back and we drove home. The next three days provided to prove to be the worst of my life. I had an impending trip to Vancouver that he was clearly not comfortable with. The arguments ranged from my lack of commitment to the relationship, my lack of respect for him, not knowing how to be in a relationship after being single for so long, to how I got to go and have fun in Vancouver, and he had to deal with everything, how I was going to cheat on him while I was gone. The worst was when I confided in a close friend that we were having some problems and I wasn't sure if I was still coming. The most humili humiliating and dehumanizing moment of my life. He watched me call her and apologize for being out of line and discussing my relationship issues with any one other than him because that was inappropriate. I felt like I wasn't even in my own body anymore. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I slept long and restlessly. I lost count of how many times he threatened to take my ring away and call off the engagement. Finally, I canceled the trip to Vancouver the night before I was supposed to fly out the next morning. The next morning was March 24th, a day that changed my life forever. I was so riddled with anxiety, so upset, so tired, and so hungry. The day began with him angrily telling me I had been kicking and punching him all night in my sleep and refusing to cuddle with him. 
I went upstairs to make breakfast, to which that meant I was upset about not going to Vancouver, and if I had just cuddled him that morning for ten minutes, this whole argument wouldn't have happened. I began emailing my parents in secret, because he was monitoring my phone so closely I couldn't have been able to explain everything I needed to explain in time without him doing something about it. So every bathroom break, I would write a little more, trying to encompass the last few months, and ask my parents if I indeed was the problem in these arguments. If I was too stubborn and independent and wasn't willing to compromise enough in the relationship. I tried to get him to agree to take some time away from each other for a few hours so we could come back to the arguing with a better head. I told him I at least needed some time to calm down and think clearly. He wouldn't agree to this. I tried to suggest leaving the house to pick up some packages at the post office and he threatened to end the relationship if I left the property. Once he found out about the email to my parents, he was livid, but for once I stood my ground. After speaking with them for a while and calming down, I tried to approach him with several options on how to proceed. He refused to agree, so I had to do the unthinkable. It will always be the hardest thing I have ever done in my entire life. I called 911. I felt ashamed when the police officer stood in front of me and told me he was trying to control me. I couldn't believe I had gotten myself into this situation. I ended up packing up my life that afternoon and leaving the house while he was at the hospital. I had absolutely no idea who I was or where I was going. I've never cried so hard in my life. For weeks afterwards, I had panic attacks every morning when I woke up, and I didn't sleep properly through the night for nearly a month. I lost 15 pounds over this winter, mostly from stress. The family friends I went to stay with noticed how much smaller I was and how different I looked than the happy, healthy person they had met back in the fall. Five days later, I was kept up all night with constant phone calls, one eventually at 3 a.m. from the police back at his home. The next day he left me and pushed me out. I don't know what I would have done if my parents hadn't been there. One of the hardest things was opening up to them and asking for their help. Once I returned home on my own, I did the only thing left that I could do to get him the help he needed and then I tried to let go. The weeks that followed were some of the lowest of my life. I was numb to my feelings and I had no desire to do anything but sit on the couch and watch Netflix. I had hoped returning home I would feel rejuvenated and being surrounded by all my friends I could start to remember who I was. I didn't. Then I had to go tree planting. At first it seemed like it would be good. Tree planting had always fixed all my other problems and it would give me a reason to get up every day. I started seeing a therapist. I was eating and sleeping properly. The first contract was miserable and then he came back into my life, more level-headed with the news of treatment and answers to all my questions. I have spent the last month and a half trying to process and deal with my own trauma so that I would be able to make a decision about how and if he could be involved in my life again. So many days I have collapsed in my land and sobbed. I've never cried like this before. It's not tears falling from my eyes silently as I try to hold it in. When I cry, my whole body cries. I shake uncontrollably. It's hard to breathe. It's hard to think about anything else but how much it hurts. I was trying so damn hard. But I've been so tired, emotionally, mentally, physically. Every day to get up and go plant trees has been a struggle. I've become a terrible person. I'm mean, miserable. I can't seem to see anything good. Then on Saturday, he had a word-for-word -word episode from two months ago. I hung up when he said he could easily go out and find tons of other girls just like me. I cried, and I cried, and I cried some more. And I told someone in my camp what was going on because no one really knew. Silently, I've been suffering through it all, and no one I live and work with knows. I took Sunday off of work. 
for the first time in my 27 years, life was just too much to bear. I needed a break. I just needed one day. Now I look forward. I talk with my therapist. I read all the books she recommends and then some. Trauma, mental resiliency, overcoming hardships. All the self-help books you can name and I'm on it. One common theme among all of them is how people felt after sharing their own experience. And I mean really sharing it. Most of them by doing just what I am doing, posting it on Facebook. Some may not agree with it, and my family may wonder why I have done this instead of talking to them about it on my own. Please try to understand how exhausting it is for me to tell this story. Every single time I try to encompass what I have been through and how I feel, it's like running an emotional marathon. I have always been uncomfortable talking about my deepest feelings with my family members and close friends. I know this. I am working on it. It is my own fault, and for that I am sorry. Through some of these books I've been reading, I have realized how badly I need help, how much I need the support of those around me. Especially the last month when he came back into my life, I was embarrassed to go talking to my support system of people who already knew it was happening because I was afraid I'd be judged for giving him another chance. I have lost my light, my self-confidence. The illness tried to take all of me away, but thank God I didn't let that happen. I've got grad school on the horizon, and if anything gives me hope and purpose, it's just that. I have always been terrible at asking for help, so this is me really asking for help. Because if there's anything I've learned about trauma so far, it's that there are many people who actually benefit from it. It's called post-traumatic growth. I want to be one of those people. I want to be better than I was before. I have never walked away from anything in my life, and it's taking all that I'm made of to make peace with having to walk away from him. If you know me, you know how stubborn I am. I don't quit. It's excruciating knowing I can't fix him. He is the most incredible and unbelievably talented person I have ever met. Knowing that I have no control over whether he is able to get healthy himself kills me. He deserves a good life. He deserves to be loved. He deserves everything he has worked so hard for. I know I need to look after myself. I hope that sooner than I can currently imagine that I will love myself again. I don't know what I would do without all of you all of my family, friends. I think now about all the amazing people in my life and how lucky I am to have them there. I am sorry for not talking with you. I am sorry for not telling you. I am sorry if I have been hard on you. I am so sorry it makes my insides hurt and I don't want to be sorry anymore. So this is my story and this is why I will be stronger because of it. Not a day goes by I don't think about him. Not a day will go by I don't continue to learn about mental illness. A big part of me sharing my story is to talk about mental illness. We still don't talk about it enough. We need to not be so afraid. This morning I had anxiety just thinking about writing this and posting it, worried about all the things people might think about it. But I'm still going to do it because it's what the real him would want. I want to honor him by trying to raise awareness about mental illness and how badly it can affect those around us without even knowing. It's a silent killer and I won't let it be silent in my life anymore. You should tell people how you feel. You should be open and truthful. You should get up every time you fall. You should fight for what is important. By that I mean all the things that keep you up at night. You should believe in every breath that leaves your body. You are a walking miracle. You should laugh a little more. It looks so fucking good on you. You should do all these things, but only when you are ready. Everything will begin. Your world will begin, but only when you are ready. And that's a quote by R.M. Drake. I am ready. Thanks for listening. Love, Aaron. So I wrote that it'll be 
four years in May. Um, so really it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, but yeah, I was, I was moving through this whole experience, um, during my eighth season of, of tree planting and really every, every season since then, um, because I've grown and evolved and changed, um, a lot since I wrote this and, the ways I feel about it now and I experience it now are so different from back then. And of course, I want to stress that this is this is my story. It's not his and it's not anyone else's. Um, so I think that's important to remember. And uh, and yeah, that, you know, a lot of my ideas around around what happened um, have evolved and, and changed and grown over the years. Um, but, uh, yeah, ultimately, you know, as, as much as I'm a, a big proponent of being open and being vulnerable and, and really talking, um, about what's going on and letting somebody know, because so often, I mean, planting provides us this place where, uh, we can, you know, really deal with our shit on the block. And, you know, there is things that need to be dealt with alone. Um, and there's also things that need to be dealt with, um, with support and to know, to listen to your intuition and to listen to your body and to know that moment when you need external help and you, you need to tell someone and to, to have the, the courage to be able to do so. And so I just hope that in sharing this story, um, that this can inspire someone listening um, to ask for that help that they need. Um, and like I said, whether this is on or off the block, but, uh, but the theme of it being on the block is of course, because I, yeah, I was dealing with this on the block and, uh, and it was really heavy and it really sucked and it affected my planting. Um, yeah, you know, I'm a pretty decent production planter and my numbers went down by like a decent amount that season. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I tried like physically, but it was just, there was like this invisible wall, this invisible wall being, you know, my mental health that was really struggling trying to process this trauma. Um, because I, you know, my personal opinion of mental illness is that it's, it's just, it's unprocessed trauma that we're holding in our body and it's, it's manifesting in these forms that affect, you know, our mind and our emotions and our physical body. And, uh, and it can sometimes take a lot to be able to, to find it because our mind likes to, to bury things really, really deep. Um, and yeah, you know, for a good half of this planting season, I was really numb to like any emotion and, and I was just angry and I was just like a miserable fuck of a human. So, um, yeah. Um, with that being said, um, yeah, I had started writing um, during that season. It seemed to be the only thing I could do as I slowly started to tap into my emotions and like process what had happened to me. Um, and so I began to write as I struggled through um, my healing process um, over the next uh, really year, but about two years. Um, and so this compilation of poems that I have in this book um, is from that time. And so they're all written from that time. And it was like whenever 
I just like couldn't bear to do anything else I would just write and get it out and so um, I'm actually going to just share one poem um, that's yeah pretty raw and I wrote it on a day off um, not long after I wrote that post and uh, yeah I wrote it out at a bush camp on on Adams Lake uh, sitting in my jeep it's called The Hand It feels like such a blur, almost as though it never happened. I find it even now, hard to write down the words I need, barely making it onto the page. Torn in anguish, despair, I write. I write to try and regain what I lost. I write to try and remember who I am, what I do, where I've been. Why my life was so enriched before you, before you came and took it all away. Your invisible hand, the one you didn't even know you had picking, poking, prodding your way into the deepest, darkest depths of me. You spread my legs and ate it all out, every inch of zest residing in my loins. The color fades from my face as I wreck myself of any nourishment. The mere thoughts of my actions sicken me to my core. I wither away day by day as your hand reaches further and further inside of me. I moan, I groan, for at first it felt so good. The pleasure of it all, your love and warmth, was an ecstasy I had never felt before. My whole body shook with the deep satisfaction of you between my legs. Even now I long for it. I crave it. But then I remember that day and it all swirls inside of me like a tornado, where the salty ocean of you meets the cool, fresh waters of me. I push and I pull. I twist and I turn to get out of your loving grasp. Your grasp of a hand so tight around my throat, I start to turn blue. Blue like the sky where I try to go, to a place where the hurt is no more, and I can breathe once again. The further I go from you, the deeper my lungs. Inhale, exhale, remember. But then you come back again and again. You've cut off the hand and locked it away in a box. You swallow the key. But boxes can be broken. Boxes can always be opened. I sit and wait as I try to come to terms with myself. All that I am and all that I will ever be to you and to me. So I don't really have um, much more to say, um, but I just wanted to share this with you guys, to share this with the community, um, and to just hope that it can help anyone that needs it, and uh, to be able to relate, hopefully, um, if you're reading it, I should say, hopefully, I don't hope that anyone has been through these kinds of things, but we've all been through our shit, so, um, yeah, just that you can find your experience in my words and know that, uh, as a fellow planter, as a fellow human, but also as a fellow planter, that, uh, that I've been there too and that you're not alone, and I just hope that, uh, that you can reach out and, uh, let somebody know, um, and, uh, you know, the, connection of course we all have in the planting community I think is so special and you know if oftentimes if there is anywhere that you can kind of reach out to someone um, it's in the planting community because of these raw vulnerable shared experiences that we all have and uh, because it's such a beautiful cathartic place out in nature to be to be dealing with and moving through and releasing um some of the traumas and some of the hardships that we all go through as human beings, um, 
just yeah living this um, physical metaphysical experience here on earth so so yeah that's uh that's pretty much it um i'm going to share links in the show notes to my book and um i would love to reach you if um you know monetary um contributions um aren't available to you so please reach out to me um in any method that you most prefer whether it's email um, or, or the Facebook route, um, but certainly email would maybe be best, or if, or if you're a friend and you know me, just shoot me a text, and, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I don't care if I'm sending out a bunch of these books for free, because I just want, I want it to get to people, and, uh, yeah, and whether or not you want to read them at home, or even be reading them on the block, because that's where some of them were written, and that's where some of them came about, and that's where a lot of these emotions and experiences were moved through, you know, I really have to thank planting in so many ways, like, like so many of us do, um, for this stuff, but, but as we all know, you know, the isolation of planting can be a blessing and a curse, and so this is my small contribution to the industry of, um, trying to create more of a safer space here and so just putting myself out there um with the story and with my experience and uh yeah I hope it can help everyone so sending so much love to you all wherever you are right now I don't even know when the hell I'm gonna release this (laughs) probably before the season starts though um yeah probably pretty soon I'm just recording this mid-January so uh yeah love to all of you and um and yeah thank you once again from the bottom of my heart for supporting my creative endeavors in all of their forms and uh may the planting gods be with all of you in all of the ways that you need on or off the block